Well, unfortunately, I am fairly well acquainted with the medical community. Um, when I was born, my parents had no idea beforehand that I was going to be born with a complete bilateral cleft lip and palate. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know what that looks like, here's my baby picture. That's what I looked like when I was born. And no, 1970 is not a mistake. The people here thought I was much, much older than that when I first came in this morning. Um, in fact, somebody suggested that maybe I should start coloring my hair. And I told them, I have worked hard for every gray hair that I've gotten. I'm going to keep it. So, so my parents were shocked when I was born with, with this cleft lip and palate. And um, it started us on a journey through the medical community that, that has been going on all my life, really. But it was most intense early on in my life. It took eight surgeries, eight separate surgeries that I've had. I've had a ninth one since just a few years ago to correct the, the cleft. It took 18 years of orthodontia. So if you thought your, your, what, 16 months of orthodontia was hard, you got nothing on me. 18 years. I've done everything from retainers to braces to pulling teeth out to building bridges. Um, I think I paid for the summer cottage for my orthodontist. Actually, my dad did over 18 years. But another piece of that journey, besides the surgeries and the orthodontia, was every year uh, growing up in Muskegon, I would get a day off of school, and my mom would drive me here to Grand Rapids to what they called the Oral Cleft Clinic. It was a one day that I'd come each year, and for that whole morning, I would go from doctor to doctor, from room to room. I would see the ear, nose, and throat guy. I would see the audiologist and the pediatrician and the speech therapist and the geneticist and the psychologist. And I'd end up going into a, a room where, where the surgeon was sitting and the dentist was there and the orthodontist was there. And they'd all see me separately. And then at the end of the day, after I had gone home, they would get together and make a master plan of treatment for the coming year. And, and that's how I journeyed year by year through that recovery and healing process, right? Now, I get to volunteer at the Oral Cuff Clinic. It's still going on at Spectrum Health. And I go and I volunteer and I help the students and their, and their parents make it through, the children and their parents make it through that clinic. And what I love about that clinic and Dr. Mann who runs it is that they pay attention not just to the face, not just to the lip and the mouth. They care about the whole person. In fact, if you were to run into Dr. Mann and ask him why he does what he does, he would say to you, he said it to me, he said, I can fix their mouths. I can do that. But I care about their lives. And I care about their hearts. And I want to make sure that they're healthy as the whole person. And that's what I love about that clinic. Somebody from our church is actually one of the people they see as they go through that clinic each, each year is they care about the whole person. You see the psychologist, you see the, the sociologist. Because we know that all of us need healing, especially those of us with cleft lip and palate. We need physical healing, but we need emotional healing. And we need, we need social healing. And so for those of you who are involved in the medical community, thank you. On behalf of those of us who receive, you may not know it, but but you are actually walking in Jesus' footsteps in what you do. We all do in our careers, but in the medical community, you are as well. Remember what we're doing this Advent. We're starting at the end and working our way back towards the birth. We're seeing who Jesus was as, as an adult, 
So that when we get to Christmas Day, we know who we're celebrating. And when we open up the story of Jesus' life, we see that Jesus was a healer. He was a doctor. May not have been his career title, but that's what he did. He brought healing into brokenness. Luke's gospel especially highlights Jesus as this healer. And it's fitting because Luke was a doctor himself. So take out your Bibles. Turn with me to Luke 4 and 5. You want to keep your Bibles open this morning. We're going to jump around through those two chapters. Page 835 in the Bibles in front of you. It begins chapter 4 with Jesus' temptation in the, in the desert, which is always seen as kind of the signal as the start of Jesus' ministry. He walked out of that desert into active ministry. He walked straight to his hometown up in Nazareth where he reveals himself for the first time to be the Messiah, and he's promptly chased out of town. And that begins his traveling itinerant ministry. And Luke tells, begins to tell us of the story, that ministry, and he begins with stories all about Jesus being a doctor bringing healing into people's brokenness. Isn't that the whole point of God's salvation story? From the very moment that this creation broke back in Genesis 3, from the moment that the serpent lured in Eve and Adam, from the moment that death came and shattered God's perfect creation, bringing in heartbreak and pain and sorrow and guilt, from that very moment, God set in place a plan to bring healing to our hurts and to bring wholeness to our brokenness. That's what this whole book is about. It's the story of healing and Jesus is the doctor who comes to do the surgery. Jesus is the one who strives to bring healing to our hurts and wholeness to our brokenness, both body and soul. It's exactly what Luke shows us here. So in verse 31 of chapter 4, Jesus has moved to Nazareth, away from Nazareth, to Capernaum, a neighboring town. And he's teaching on the Sabbath, and the brokenness of this world boldly interrupts him in verse 33. Listen, starting at verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. So right away in Jesus' ministry, Luke introduces us to Jesus as the spiritual doctor. Right? He sees this man possessed by an evil spirit. He hears this demon call out to him. And with one stern command from Jesus, the evil spirit is expelled and the man is whole again. Luke starts his story with spiritual healing. Because Jesus knows that that is the root of all of our brokenness. 
See, Jesus, as our doctor, doesn't just want to cover over our symptoms. He doesn't want to just relieve the symptoms of our brokenness and pain. He wants to get to the core, to the heart of, of what's really wrong with us. He wants to bring true healing to us, and he knows that that requires spiritual surgery. The brokenness you and I experience in our lives started as a spiritual battle of good versus evil in the garden. And it continues to be a spiritual battle of good versus evil in our lives today. And you and I so easily and quickly forget that. As we live our daily lives in our modern era, we forget the underlying spiritual battle that is raging all around us. That's actually raging right within us. Right? The Apostle Paul reminds us of that truth in Ephesians chapter 6. When he tells us to put on the spiritual armor of God, he tells us to do that because, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In our modern culture, we so quickly dismiss the spiritual powers around us. Few of us, I would guess, regu regularly think about demons and evil spirits. Right? That's, that's material for Hollywood for Hollywood horror films that leave you with nightmares at night, right? But we're wrong to dismiss the reality of the spiritual battles going on. They just don't look like what Hollywood shows us. They don't always sound like what Jesus encountered there in Capernaum. But stop and think about this for a moment. You and I, are constantly doing battle against the spiritual powers of evil around us and within us. You and I are doing battle against the demon of lust when we sit in front of that computer screen and need to decide if we're going to hit, hit that button to open pornography or not. We're doing battle against the spiritual demon of lust when we're alone with our boyfriend or girlfriend, when we're deciding which movie we're going to watch. That's a spiritual battle, my friends. We are doing battle against the spiritual demon of anger when we're tempted to let, to let our emotions explode and our rage fly, when we're tempted to let our fists hit someone, when we're tempted to, to post hateful things on social media in order to get even. When we're tempted to stay bitter and refuse to forgive, that's a spiritual battle. We are fighting the spiritual battle against the demon of greed daily in our lives. That's the demon, I think, that that's the spiritual power of evil that, that so envelops our American culture, doesn't it? It fights for our time and attention. It fights to, to give us this urge for more, more possession, more wealth, more, more, more. And sadly, Advent this December is when greed has its heyday. We are fighting a spiritual battle against the demon of pride. 
when we value ourselves so much higher than someone who doesn't look like us or act like us or believe like us or isn't from our own country. You and I are daily engaged in a spiritual battle against the evil spirits of gluttony and pleasure and laziness and selfishness and bitterness and apathy and on and on the list goes. Those, those are not just character flaws in us. Those aren't just weaknesses. Those are spiritual battles. Spiritual battles being fought within you and within me. And Jesus came to bring healing and wholeness to the spiritual brokenness in our lives. He gives us, first of all, the ability to see this spiritual battle for what it is. And then to be able to honestly discern right from wrong between what is of God and what is of Satan. And then to be able to stand up and say no. To say no to what is ungodly and to say yes to what is holy. Just like Titus 2 tells us. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. There's your evidence that there's spiritual healing and health in your life. We are eager to do what is good. We are winning the battle through the power of Jesus Christ. We are saying no to ungodliness and yes to God. That brings us to be people who are restored to who we were created to be. Not living in the brokenness that has defined us for so long. That makes us people shaped by God instead of shaped by sin. You and I, we need to live daily aware of the spiritual battle going on within and around us. Because that battle... It inflicts real wounds, real pain, real brokenness into our lives. You know it. You know the pain that comes when you give in to the lust. You know the pain that results when you give in to the anger and the rage. You know the pain that comes from envy and greed. You've experienced the pain of bitterness, of not forgiving, of carrying that grudge for years. You know that that pain is real, that that brokenness is real. But Jesus says we don't need to be afraid in this spiritual battle. And we don't need to, to live out of our brokenness and out of our failure, and out of our loss. 
Because Jesus has come to bring you and me spiritual healing. And he gives us the strength to stand up and say, come out of me. Come out. He gives us the power to say no to Satan, to say no to ungodliness, and to say yes to God and to live holy lives. He gives us the freedom to be set free through his forgiveness and his grace. That is the surgery. That is the prescription that our spiritual doctor gives us. But we need to know that that's not the whole story. Yes, Jesus cares deeply about our souls and our spirits. But he doesn't just ignore our physical brokenness. Our God cares not only about our souls, but he cares about our, our bodies so much that he comes to bring physical healing as well. You see, when, when sin broke into God's great creation, it brought death. Right? It brought bodies that now wear out and hearts that grow weak and minds that begin to fail and bones that break and muscles that atrophy and eyes that cloud over and cancer that spreads and lungs that ultimately stop breathing. And Jesus did battle against that brokenness as well. He didn't ignore the bodies in order to save the soul. Right? So in the, in the very next section of Luke chapter 4, Jesus heals, tells us that Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother of her fever. Seems pretty minor, a fever. And yet he takes the time to heal her. Right? And then look over at chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Listen to what, what Jesus does. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus cares about his broken body about his, his skin condition. Cares enough to reach out and touch the brokenness that no one else would touch and heal him. Which again brought the sick flocking to Jesus to be healed. Including in the very next section, a paralytic who had to be carried there by his friends who couldn't get into the house so they lowered him down through the roof. And this paralytic ends up walking out the door of that house carrying the mat that had carried him for so long because Jesus healed his broken body. Again and again, Luke shows us pictures of this baby that we celebrate at Christmas becoming a miracle worker, healing sick and broken bodies. Which often leads us to ask why God doesn't still do that today. What we wouldn't give to have Jesus' hand reach out and touch and heal our mother, our father, our son, our daughter, our husband, our wife of the cancer. 
We wonder why in the world God won't restore that mind ravaged by Alzheimer's or give strength to the muscles that have atrophied. Why won't God make the eyes see again or the legs walk again or the voice sing again? I know I've asked God those questions. And I'm still waiting for some answers. But I find that my questions about why God sometimes won't heal clouds my vision of all the times that God does heal. That God is still in the business of healing broken bodies, right? The healing touch of Jesus is reaching down into our lives again and again and again. He's working through doctors who are able to do so much more than they could 5, 10, 50, 100 years ago. In fact, just from when I was born, you know, eight surgeries for my cleft lip and palate, that's down to two now. Jesus is reaching down and healing faster than ever before. Jesus is reaching down and healing through the medicines that, that daily keep our hearts healthy and our minds clear and, and hopefully the pain mostly at bay. And Jesus is working through the surgeries that repair and replace body parts. And he is working through research and treatments that are bringing new hope all the time. And he is probably more often than we realize or give him credit for. He is still working miracles that we sometimes choose to ignore. That's all God at work. And as long as we live in this world broken by sin, yes, sadly, you and I will experience the brokenness of our bodies, and we will experience the brokenness of the bodies of people that we love dearly. But, we cannot forget that the day is coming when these physical bodies of ours will be completely healed and made whole. Right? Jesus' death and resurrection not only brought us spiritual healing, forgiveness of sins through his blood, we can't forget that it brought us eternal physical healing as well. These bodies will be resurrected. These bodies will be perfected. That's how the story ends. That's how your story ends. That's how I end just about every funeral that I've ever done. I end with the words of Revelation 21 where, where God, God speaks to John and this voice from heaven tells John, he says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And this, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for this old order of things has passed away. I am making everything new. That's a promise to believe. I am making everything new. That includes these fingers and this body. So those questions that I've asked God and I'm still waiting for an answer for, I think I've received an answer. I think he's already given it. Because those people that I love, that I miss so dearly, they've already been healed.
their bodies are young and healthy and strong and beautiful in God's presence. They are experiencing even more than what I was praying for and asking for for them when they were alive. And someday our bodies will finally be healed in that same way. Until then, until then through this broken world, we receive daily from Jesus the healing that he does provide, the strength that he gives us for each day. This baby that we celebrate at Christmas, he became the miracle worker who heals our bodies as well as our spirits. Luke, towards the end of chapter 5, shares with us a seemingly then unrelated story, but actually one that fits perfectly as we wrap up our time. Right, you see, all the previous story headings in my Bible, they have headings like Jesus drives out an evil spirit. Jesus heals many. The man with leprosy. Jesus heal, heals a paralytic. And all of a sudden here, before verse 27, we get Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. Doesn't seem to fit the pattern, but it does. Listen to this story. 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus shows himself here to be our religious doctor as well. You know, we read that story and we assume that Levi, this irreligious, unclean, traitor, sinner, that he's the sick one who needs the religious healing, right? And, that, and that's true. He is. But Jesus is, not, Jesus is not just talking about Levi in verses 31 and 32 when he talks about the sick needing healing, needing a doctor. The Pharisees, these super religious people, these church-going people, these well-respected people, they also are the ones who need the doctor. Jesus is saying they're the ones that need the healing too. In fact, you know what? His message here is that all of us here, all of you, including me, are included. Because every single one of us is broken we are all sick. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sick. The problem comes when we forget that truth. 
when we begin to think that, that we aren't that sick, that we aren't that ill, that we're actually pretty healthy, right? How do we show that we're healthy religiously? Oh, we go to church all the time. I give generously to good causes. I, I avoid the big sins, right? I look at the world around me. I'm so much better than most people. And we think I'm good enough. I don't need the healing. I don't need a doctor. You want to know the truth that Jesus is declaring here? He's making it crystal clear that there are no good people and bad people. Only those who know they're bad and those who don't. Irreligious Levi knew he was bad. And that's why he accepted Jesus' offering of healing. The Pharisees didn't know they were bad. They thought they were good. So they rejected Jesus' healing. That is the danger to those of us who are religious. That is the danger you and I need to watch out for. That is the spiritual disease, the spiritual infection that could kill us. True repentance is the one prerequisite for receiving the grace and salvation and forgiveness of God. And true repentance depends on honestly realizing just how broken we are and how desperately we need that grace and forgiveness that God has to offer. And that truth leaves sinners like Levi closer to God's grace, closer to the healing that Jesus offers than the spiritually self-satisfied. Remember, there's no good people and bad people. There's only those who know they're bad and those who don't. When we know that we are sick, that's when we'll finally go to the doctor, right? When we know that we are sick, that's when we'll listen and accept the healing that is offered. So next month, I'll be going to the doctor for my annual physical. I also need to schedule a dentist appointment. It's been a while since I've been. I don't, I don't always like those appointments because I know what they're going to tell me. And I don't always like to hear what they're going to say. Right? My, my dentist is going to tell me, Tony, you really need to floss more. And I'll nod and I'll smile and I'll go home and I'm not going to floss any more than I already do, which is zero. Right? And my doctor's going to tell me, Tony, I'd love to have you eat more vegetables and get more exercise. And I'll go home and I'm going to feel like watching Netflix and eating chocolate that night. I, I know what they're going to say. And I know he's right. And I know he wants what's best for me. But the choice is ultimately mine, right? This Advent, we're celebrating the arrival of a baby who becomes our doctor. He's the one who knows what will make us healthy. Not just for eternity, but for today. 
in our lives as we journey through this life as well. He knows what will make us healthy spiritually, physically, religiously. But he isn't going to force it on us. The choice is ours of whether we're going to listen to him or not. Do we want to be healthy? Or do we prefer to stay in our sickness? The answer to that question is not a yes or no. It's going to show up in are you willing to truly repent? Remember, true repentance Recognizing that you need a doctor. Admitting that you're sick. That's the start. Remember what Jesus says. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's not the healthy who show up. It's the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So those of us here who think that we're healthy... We aren't going to go to the doctor. And we certainly won't follow his prescription. But those of us who know that we're sick, who are willing to admit that, we also then know just how desperately we need that doctor. And just how desperately we need the healing that he offers us. So remember, there aren't good people and bad people. There's only those who know they're bad and those who don't. And as we celebrate the arrival of this baby who becomes our doctor, we need to decide whether we're going to listen to that doctor or not. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we need to come before you this morning and first of all confess our sin of pride. We are prideful in believing that we're good enough, we're strong enough, we're healthy enough on our own. We're prideful in believing that we really don't need major surgery. Maybe just a little vitamin here or there would do. And so we ask that you would break the power of pride in our lives. That you would give us the courage to do spiritual battle against that demon. So that we might be able to be honest with ourselves and honest with you. So that we might be able to come to you in true repentance and repent for the lust that we've chosen for the anger that we've chosen for the greed that we have chosen for the self-centered pride that we have chosen for the bitterness and unforgiving spirit that we've chosen for the critical spirit that we've chosen. For the spiritual battles that we've chosen not to fight. Forgive us. Give us eyes that are honest about ourselves so that we might honestly see your amazing grace 
so that we might clearly hear your offer of grace and forgiveness. And we might clearly hear your prescription for living. Your diagnosis that gives life. That gives hope. That gives freedom. That gives joy. In this life and the next. Father, some of us will walk out of this room this morning and not give a second thought about repentance, about life change, about a spiritual battle that we're losing. For others of us, this might be the moment where we're finally honest with you and honest with ourselves and we begin to receive life, true life from you. Thank you for your grace that never lets us go. Thank you for your persistence and your patience that never gives up on us. Thank you, Jesus, our doctor, our healer, for the healing you offer. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.